You are entering the Freedom Hut. Cops shut down the Black House Autonomous Zone in D.C. Trump authorizes the arrest of vandals for federal property. The left wants to cancel statues of Jesus now. And where is the photo of the noose at NASCAR? Coming up. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I think I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Honor and a privilege to have you here with me as always. Oh my, we do have a lot to discuss today. What the heck is going on in Washington, D.C.? Now, I would usually take this opportunity to play audio for you of the protesters so we get a sense of who these people are and what they're really all about. Because I'm also on a campaign here. I'm, I'm on a mission to make sure that we, we refer to this movement by what it is comprised of. These are Democrats that are doing this. And I don't want this to become tedious. I don't want to be the guy that says Democrats, Democrats, Democrats. But I'm not hearing it from a lot of places. This is the Democrat base out there. These are Biden voters who are pulling down statues, who are looting stores, who are punching people in the streets, who are throwing rocks at cops, who are demanding the eradication of so much of our shared history and American heritage. And now even going so far as to say that we have to change all the Jesus statues. Oh, I'll get to that. That's a real thing that's gaining steam online. You can't come up with anything that is now too absurd for the Democrat left. You can't do it. When you say, well, I think any moment now we might have to we might have to cancel Julius Caesar. Can't do that plenty more because where was Julius Caesar on transgender rights? That's a fair point. I don't I don't think he did enough. I don't think Julius Caesar took enough uh, action as as dictator of Rome for the LGBTQ plus community. He didn't know that such a thing existed at the time, but that's not an excuse. Who in history will be able to be even just for their acts or for their accomplishments, not even necessarily as models of human behavior and and decency? Who can we revere? Who can we say Wow, that was a, quite an accomplishment. Without fear of the mob coming after them, without this movement deciding that it's time to tear it all down. Who was the latest in this? Oh, yes, that's right. Andrew Jackson, statue of Andrew Jackson, former president of the United States, known for really being the founder of American populism, but also somebody who fought the Native American population here, did some very nasty things to them. I mean, he is a complicated fellow. But I will also say that the statue itself, see that there are a couple levels here that we see going on in Washington, D.C. that should be troubling to everybody. And and one of them, for me at least, is that these are there's the there's the symbolism of all of this, which we often talk about. And then there's also just the destruction of public property that's going on. I mean, Lafayette Square, I used to work for the Hill on K Street and 16th which is right there, 1600 Pennsylvania. It's about 
two and a half blocks from the White House. So I, I until recently, until I moved back to New York, this is where I was spending a lot of my time. Lafayette Square is right next to the White House. They're trying to pull down a statue of Andrew Jackson, which put aside the symbolism for a second of all of this. This was like the first bronze statue of its kind where the entire statue was on the the horse was on its rear legs. I mean, it's just an artistic matter. I think this often gets lost in this conversation as a as an artistic matter. These statues should be at least preserved. I mean, good heavens. These are in some cases masterpieces. I mean, the actual work itself is a masterpiece. It's something that craftsmen from all ages it's something that people from all eras and and periods should be able to look at and say wow that's that's incredible and they want to destroy it they want to pull it down smash it deface it think of the mentality of somebody who could walk up to a painting a sculpture something that is just as an object truly beautiful amazing in its own way and think, I'm angry, so I'm going to ruin that. That's pretty much the Democrat Party's mantra right now. There's plenty of room for discussion. We can always have discussions about with the artistic merits of different pieces and what should be elevated, what should be in the public square. That's, always, that's an ongoing discussion. This isn't about that. This is about the mobilization of the Democrat base in an election year and a political movement that is Marxist in its ideology and authoritarian in its approach, which I guess those things always go hand in hand, but here we are watching this play out before us. They wanted to set up last night what they were calling the Black House Autonomous Zone. And the police were called, uh, were called out and they were in riot gear. And the things that were being said to these police officers, you can just go check my, my Twitter thread. And I, I do, for those of you that really are into politics, you don't have to tweet, but I think Twitter is a very useful tool to see what the left is thinking and to see what your favorite conservatives are thinking. So I, I think that we need more conservatives in general to use this communications platform and maybe move to Parler or some of these other apps that are popping up now. I'm also on Parler. Uh, I'm going to start create. I'm going to start having buck sex and content everywhere I can go digitally. I'm going to start putting it all over the place. And so you see what happened last night. There are all these videos. I can't play them for you here on the show because there's so much viciousness and profanity and stupidity. I mean, there is a, a young woman. I mean, she looks like she might be 30, maybe 25 to 30 who is just screaming rage and curses in the face of a police officer who's just standing there to enforce the law. The law's not supposed to be a suggestion box. It's not supposed to be, here's the law, unless we feel really angry about something. Unless we think that there's something better that should be done here. This is the subversion of our institutions that we are seeing. How have we all missed this? Why is this being described and talked about more? The first three years of opposition to President Trump was focused around his corruption and pollution of institutions of government. 
this, the undermining of our sacred institutions, the undermining of our republic. That was the narrative. Russia collusion and Ukraine impeachment and all these different things were ultimately about that narrative, right? That he had subverted the election, a sacred institution with the help of Russia, of course, right? This lie that was spread for years and that the media should never recover from in terms of its credibility, uh, that, that Trump subverted you know, his role as commander-in-chief by abusing his power on the impeachment uh, with the Ukraine phone call, all these different things. It was always the ultimate rallying cry of the left was he is destroying our institutions. They pretended so much to care about these different, whether it's the DOJ, the FBI, the uh, you know, elections, Name, name a thing that they would point out. And it was always, oh, this is an institution. He's destroying it. The institution of the presidency. And when that didn't work, isn't it fascinating to watch how now they will destroy those institutions freely and gleefully? They have, they have no problem with that at all. They don't care. They'll attack the police, defund the police. What is a more important institution of our society than police and the courts and the law and order that they provide. Who could be said to be undermining our sacred institutions now? The Democrats, the left. You see, this is the advantage of operating without any principles. You can just change with a moment's notice. It was Trump is destroying our institutions. And now, after they tried everything they could to weaponize those institutions against him, so they were actually eroding and destroying those institutions slowly but surely by making them all weapons against Trump. Now that that wasn't sufficient, that he was able to withstand all of that, now we see them willing to undermine any institute, willing to undermine the founding, the founding history of this country, willing to change our perception of what America really is and what it's all about. You want to talk about undermining institutions? They're tearing down George Washington statues. If these people get their way, if the Democrats really take this to its logical ends, we're going to have to rename states. We're going to have to rename cities. We're going to have to change our money. We're going to have to change the names of universities. We're, you know, it's never going to stop. Endless power, drunk with power. That's where they are right now. Until we decide that enough is enough, until we finally say and take action. Just saying law and order isn't enough. You have to enforce law and order, which is why the president's uh, tweet this morning that he has, quote, authorized the federal government to arrest anyone who vandalizes or destroys any monument, statue or other such federal property in the U.S. with up to 10 years in prison per the Veterans Memorial Preservation Act or such other laws that may be pertinent. You're darn right this is the move. This is what needs to happen. The laws on the books now about vandalism, about criminal mischief, about destruction of public property, these need to be enforced. There need to be criminal and civil penalties. Really? You want to destroy a 100, 150-year-old statue? That's going to be quite a big bill that you should get sent to your home, Antifa morons. You want to set a church, a national historic site, on fire? You should be prosecuted for arson. Even if the whole church didn't burn down, it's still arson. These people doing this stuff should go to prison and the protesters should be happy too. We know they won't be 
But they should be happy if the mostly peaceful protest is really what this is all about. Why should they be upset at people if they're not there to break the law, if they don't support the breaking of our laws and the undermining of our sacred institutions? Why should the protesters have any problem with the enforcement of laws against those who are breaking them? If you're just there to show up and say, I hate cops and I hate America and I read the nation and I watch CNN and I scream curse words at cops, including there's a video that's circling now of a guy with a man bun, white dude with a man bun, screaming in the face of a black police officer in Lafayette Square in D.C., just and, and saying that his family should be ashamed of him and the worst kinds of garbage. And that's really what the left has turned into now. The left is so woke, you see. They're, they're so saturated with their own self-righteousness that now you have white liberals who think that Black Lives Matter is something that allows them to explain to black people with curse words and threats. That, that's if you're a black cop, it doesn't matter that you're black anymore to these white liberals. They will say horrific things to you. As part of a Black Lives Matter protest, quote, protest. Here's another tip for the media. When people are deploying ropes to destroy priceless public property, uh, that's a mob and they are rioting. This is no longer a protest. And, you know, you, you can't you can't have a situation where 300 people can gather somewhere and 50 of them can be violent against cops and break the law and not face consequences because the other 250 are going to say it's mostly peaceful. No. It's not how crowd control works. There needs to be self-policing of these movements or else these movements need to be dispersed when they break the law. That's it. And people need to be prosecuted. There needs to be a really serious effort to start uh, these these individuals, especially a lot of these a lot of these white liberals I'm seeing at protests who look like they just got out of, uh, you know, Wesleyan gender studies class. I don't think they're going to like very much having to go into court and defend themselves against a federal charge. The federal government, you know, the, the statutes on the books, if they want to be harsh with you, just ask Roger Stone. Just ask General Flynn. Very minor things if the federal government decide, and those people didn't do anything, really. I'm talking about people that actually are breaking the law. The federal, federal criminal code is very powerful when it is deployed. And people can go to prison for much longer than they think, for much less than they think, if the authorities finally decide that the law is the law. And that's, what, that's what's missing here. That's what has to happen. And we're going to run into some big challenges. We're going to run into some big challenges because you know what the next phase of this will be. I believe that there is going to be my my feeling. And this is a gut instinct and I could be wrong and I hope I'm wrong, is that this is building to what we saw in, for example, the first Black Lives Matter movement where there was a mass assassination of police officers in Dallas by somebody devoted to the movement. And then everybody realized, so this is about cop hatred, right? This is about blaming all of society's ills and all the challenges the minority community has, all the crime and poverty that are in minority communities on cops. That's really what the movement was ultimately more prominently than anything else 
concerned with. And that that then also turns very quickly into hatred of cops that can be acted upon and was acted upon. And that's when the Black Lives Matter movement, if you recall, you know, that was when it began to fade as a mobilization for the Democrats. I think, unfortunately, we're heading towards something like that as well, meaning that there will be a very violent incident that some in the media will try to say, oh, it's not. A, they'll do what they always do. Oh, that's not representative of this movement. Oh, that has nothing to do with even when the person saying, oh, no, I'm a part of the movement. I did it for the movement. But the only way we can stop that is if we start enforcing the laws right now, right now, harshly and severely. Does the law matter? This administration and every governor and mayor has to ask themselves that question. Does the law matter? And we should all watch what their response is. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Do you agree with the president's guidance that that cities should do more to protect monuments? Yeah, I I don't even know what the president's guidance is, Savannah, frankly. Uh, Cities are making decisions. The Teddy Roosevelt statue, uh, I think it was less about Teddy Roosevelt, but the the other parts of that of that statue. Uh, And look, people are making a statement uh, about equality, about community, uh, to be against racism against slavery. Uh, I think those are good statements. And um, it depends, you know, can you overdo it? Of course you can. But uh, in New York, I don't think we've overdone it. And I think that I think it's a healthy expression of people saying, let's get some priorities here and let's remember the sin and mistake that these this nation made and let's not celebrate it. Uh, I don't even know what he's talking about. What does he mean by enforce the law? Uh, Maybe Governor Cuomo uh, what he's saying is don't destroy statues that don't belong to you. It's vandalism and it's a crime, you jackass. That's what the president's saying. He's not referring to the, the, the removal of statues by committee when he's saying there's going to be criminal sanctions. We all understand that. He doesn't agree with some of what that, what that is, too. But also, let's just be honest about what's going on here. Cuomo's dodging the question because the mob is the Democrat base. That's why. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Witness the events of just this past weekend where mobs tore down statues of George Washington and Ulysses S. Grant. When you tear down statues of Washington and Grant, it's not about the Civil War. It's because you hate America. And indeed, these rioters hate America. In Portland, where they tore down the statue of Washington, they also spray-painted on him the date 1619, a reference to the New York Times' revisionist anti-American history project. The Democrats are in an iconoclasm spasm right now. We see this all across the country. And we're also getting a window into the mind of the Democrat left that has been so polluted by a media establishment that is constantly lying to them, lying that they're journalists, that they're objective, they're neutral. In fact, I agree with the assessment that that many have been making that the main problem, I mean, the the fountainhead, if you will, of so many of the evils that we are dealing with uh, with right now in society is, is the mainstream media. I mean, I think that's true. When Trump says they're the enemy of the people, I mean, 
they're definitely the enemy of American unity, prosperity, and, and order. And they're not helping things right now. They do whatever they have to do for their own left-wing benefit. You know, just as long as, the ch- as long as the checks keep rolling at NBC News, as long as CNN anchors can retreat to their homes in the Hamptons or on Martha's Vineyard. I don't give a, they don't give a crap about what happens to this country. And they don't care about all these maniacs out there. Can you imagine for a second? Really, do this as a thought experiment. When the Tea Party was having big rallies, and I don't know why we can't get that fervor back right now. If there was ever a time to be worried about government spending, about tyranny, about all of the things that the Tea Party came to prominence and came together for, wouldn't it be now? We don't have to call it the Tea Party, but where, where, are, my, where are my conservative protest movements? And for, we don't have to call them protests, because we, how about we just call them rallies? Where are the conservatives getting out there and showing their numbers in the streets and showing people who have been stuck in their homes by state mandate for months, and in some cases here in New York, stuck in your home and hearing the left-wing mobs rampaging freely while you can't do anything, right? You're not allowed to go to the barber, not allowed to go to the, you know, the restaurant, can't, can't go to your office, got to wear a mask, but the, the mob can do whatever it wants. That has a psychological impact on people. You know what would be really helpful if we started to see orderly, law-abiding, peace-loving, constitution-celebrating patriots, Americans of all creeds and colors coming together in support of, in love of this country and in love of their fellow Americans. How about that? Think of the juxtaposition. Think of the difference that that would be with these mobs of maniacs. Every day now, we, we have, you know, thank heavens that social media exists and that they're not good enough yet at sifting out things that are harmful to the narrative of the Democrats. They just can't keep up with all these videos and people are uploading them of protesters saying absurd, heinous, vile, disgusting things. And also all these videos of violence against white individuals. Matt Walsh has a thread. Matt will be joining us later on in the show. Matt Walsh has a thread that the president retweeted that Tucker called out last night on his show. And it's all of these incidents of really vicious violence against white Americans at a time when you would think that given all the racial sensitivities right now and everything else, these would at least be news stories, right? This story out in Michigan of a guy who claims, and I've said this guy was a liar, clearly a liar. But he said that, that he was called... You know, the worst racial slur that we all know can't, you know, you I mean, if you ever unless you're Jimmy Kimmel, apparently, if you ever say it and you're a white person at any point in your life, you are to be canceled and ruined and you're a bad person. You can't even say it in reference to what someone else said. I don't know, for example, in a court of law, what a stenographer reading back the transcript would do, for example, in a court case where this case you're not allowed to say it. And I'm I'm going to say this. I think that's a problem. I think it's wrong that there are words that you cannot say in any context. Yes, it's immoral to call people a racial slur. It's stupid. It's unethical. It's gross. 
but you can't even say a word in reference to what someone else has said? You can't quote, I can't quote. I can't quote people, right? I can't sing the lyrics to certain songs without fear of ruination and cancellation. And we all just accept this. What? Why? Just, it's so much of this is just bending, bending the knee, but also giving up core principles, giving up the right to speak and think freely. Um, we accept these rules of what is acceptable discourse, and we should give much more thought to what those rules are, because they're always changing, and they're not changing in favor of freedom. They're not changing in favor of the truth is an absolute defense. No, they're changing in favor of bend that knee, bake that cake, or else. Corporate America, Hollywood, the Academy, I mean, any large company you work for now, all of media except for about, you know, one channel and a handful of websites and talk radio, all of these play are dominated by a left-wing mentality that allows them to constantly rewrite the rules to the detriment of their perceived political enemies and we don't even question this we don't even say well hold on hold on a second gosh i remember years ago christopher hitchens who was a, a super talented writer very right on some things very wrong on some things but I, I i still think that you know i do read people who are who are brilliant at the craft of writing even if i think they're wrong on some of their positions and i think everybody should you know I read editorials written by libs all the time because I want to know what they think because one, I think you can't really be secure in your own. And there's no such thing as security in, in your beliefs. You should always be testing and retesting your assumptions. You should always be asking questions. Am I sure I'm right about that? Am I missing something? And you should know what the best arguments are of the other side. Don't do what CNN does. Clay pigeons. Here's a straw man. Here's a fake version of the argument. And then put some, some stuff Stuffed shirt, serious news anchor up there. Oh, look at me and my Hermes tie. I'm going to just tell you what the truth is. You know, the Brian, the Brian Williams routine over at NBC. Same thing. These guys are clowns. They're not making you smarter. They're not making you more well-informed. Well, you don't, you don't watch them if you're listening to this show. <laughs> Most likely, I think. Maybe a few. There are some libs. I love it when the libs reach out to me who watch this show. They go, oh, Buck, you know, I'm actually, I'm, I'm a Democrat, but I think you're smart and you know a lot of stuff and you seem like a nice person. True, true, and true. I do, I do know a lot of stuff, I am, and I am a nice person. Uh, you know, unlike some people in this business who have been in it quite a bit longer, who don't know nearly as much as they pretend to and aren't very nice. So that brings me back to this story, though. Uh, I got a little bit of a diversion there. I, I want to bring myself back to this story in Michigan, where we, we, we keep going through this. There is a, a, a large African-American individual uh, who claims that he was called a racial slur and really viciously beats a guy who is groveling on the ground and begging not to be hit. And so much of the media was like, yep, he, he, he got what he deserved. What? Well, there's no proof that he, that he said the racial slur. And here's really the part of this that is going to, you know, you're going to start to see the, the, the testing of the outer limits of the law here. If someone walks past someone and they hear a word they don't like, they're actually not legally allowed to physically assault the person. 
that's that's not a, that's not a justification. That is not a defense. But we're getting to a point where it's going to be. We're getting to a point now where all that has to be said is, I think that person, that person's a racist and looked at me the wrong way. And so I beat his face in on video while somebody was laughing about it. That individual, uh, the police have had that video for days. As I checked last night, I saw he had not been arrested. He had not been arrested. Let's let's reverse for a minute, shall we? If just think for a second, if a employee of a department store in Michigan or anywhere in this country uh, who was black was uh, viciously beaten in the face by a, you know, punched on the ground, uh, just humiliated, terrified. And a uh, it turns out that the assailant, the criminal, because this is a criminal, uh, was white and had lied about being, you know, called the horrible name of some kind, whatever it may be. And all the press had up until that point been like, yeah, well, you know, I guess this guy deserved it. Would never happen. And this would be a national level news story. Why is why is the reverse not a national level news story? Exactly. If nothing else, for the press's just consistent stupidity on this. Why, why don't we hear about this? I. I you know, we, we cannot we can all hide from discussions or we can actually have discussions and understand that sometimes there will be consequences. Uh, but honest approaches to these issues is the only way that we ever actually have any progress. See, everyone right now, I shouldn't say everybody, but but there is a feeling right now of just just stay out of the fray. Just hide from this from people who are generally in the fray. You know, if you if you own a you know, if you own a sporting goods store in Omaha, I don't want you, you know, getting involved in it. I don't want your business to be attacked. I don't want you getting in trouble or whatever. So don't speak out on this if you think you're like, I, I don't want to keep repeating it, but, you know, don't charge the machine gun nests if you don't have a plan to take them. Um, but for I'm talking about people that are usually very involved in this, who have influence, who I th- there's a lot, a lot of folks out there that, are, ooh, I don't really want to. I'm just going to wait this out. But you see, the left is counting on that, that that those voices that could be honest about this, that could be honest about what's happening in the country, what we're seeing, what we're not seeing. Why is it that I never see videos on CNN of people being dragged out of cars by mobs and beaten up viciously? But also NPR will do an absurd story blaming people who, when their car is mobbed by people kicking in the windows and breaking things and threatening to kill them, then they try to drive away. It's weaponizing the car. Why, why can't we have a discussion about this? We, we are going to have to start to push back on what is allowable in the realm of discourse, debate, and the free exchange of ideas. Otherwise, what we're going to do is just keep waiting as, as the ground on which we can wage this battle keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's what's happening right now. Without any pushback, it will continue. I also want to know, for example, this is just uh, another, another story that comes to mind. And I've said this to you, and, and you know, you have to, what the left is always looking for is the opportunity for somebody on the right to be sloppy in their analysis here. Even if even if I, you know, I, I've been right on so many of of the very sensitive cases, not just involving, you know, race issues, but I've been right. I was right on Kavanaugh. And I've, you know, there are so many areas where 
the facts in history have proven me to be correct. And I'm not I'm not bragging. A lot of other conservatives also have been on the right side of that. Although I remember some people kind of, you know, getting ready to tuck tail and run during the Kavanaugh thing on the right. There were some people who were not not so brave on that one. But I, I just want to point to a question. This is a national news story. The media is very much involved in this. There are big public displays of support going on. And I'm asking a question for which I have not yet gotten an answer. And I usually have a pretty good network to find out what's been reported and everything else. Uh, we have been told that there was an incident at NASCAR where there was a noose displayed in the garage of a well-known African-American NASCAR driver. Why haven't we seen a photo of the noose? I'm asking a question. It's a very straightforward question. I'm I'm not making any assessment of this case at this point. I'm asking, where is the photo? And I want to get an answer. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Bubba Wallace made a very upsetting, uh, a very upsetting allegation. I mean, he, he has he has officially come out to say that he found a noose inside his garage stall at the Talladega Super Speedway. Well, now NASCAR drivers and crew members have aligned uh, a a message uh, in support of him, have aligned in a message of support for him. We stand with Bubba Wallace. This is a show of solidarity. And there was this very powerful image of people walking alongside Bubba's car. And and I'm just just going to say this right now. Um, I'm I'm not at the point where I can make a decision either way about the credibility of this, other than to say that so far it seems credible, right? So far, I I believe it is possible that somebody would do this. And that's terrible. And it's gross. And all the support shown for Bubba Wallace is very much then what we'd like to see in any sport, in any situation. I also, however, know that there is an active FBI hate crime investigation of this incident underway, and I, I know that everybody carries around a cell phone. Every cell phone has a camera. And if someone discovered a noose in a garage, am I to believe? Now, maybe the photo exists. The FBI already has it. And they're all over this case. And man, they're going to get somebody. And they should, right? Maybe that's all true. I don't know. But I'm also not willing to completely forget that there's a very critical element of this. Remember, this is, about a, this is about a criminal allegation of a hate crime. So shouldn't we all want all the information? I want the perpetrator punished. But if we're going to punish the perpetrator, don't we have to have evidence of the crime? Wouldn't you have to establish that there was, in fact, a noose? And wouldn't the only way to really do that to be to take a photograph of it? I can assure you, you know, if, if I came home and saw some... And look, I know I'm not African-American. It's a different circumstance. But I'm saying if I saw something that was going to turn into a national news story that affected me, I'd take a photo of it. And not because I work in media. Like, that's just a normal reaction at this point. So is there a photo? Maybe the answer is yes, and we'll get it any moment now. If there is not a photo, 
I got a lot more questions I want to ask about this. I want to know what happened. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. How far will the cancel culture go? Is there anything that is so, dare I say, sacred to the American people that even the left would hold back? Nope. Not if it's outside of their ideological uh, their ideological arena, not if it's outside of what they like, what the left, you know, so communism, fine. Lenin, Marx, Stalin, whatever, fine. Che Guevara, fine. That's no problem. But some have said, in jest, what are they going to do? Come for Jesus next? Because you got you to ask the question, was Jesus really strong enough on trans rights uh, back in the day. And, and the, I don't, I mean, he didn't talk about it. There's nothing in the Bible about trans rights that I've seen. So people raise this to try to establish the, the outer realm, if you will, the, the outer limit of the extent of the absurdity here. And it is so instructive that as you try to do that now, I often say the left is beyond parody. And I mean it. I'm saying that actually is true, because when I try to parody the left, I fail because they're that crazy. I'll say, oh, my gosh, what's what's going to be next? This go back to 2017. There was the beginning of this statue pull down movement. And 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 people were saying things like they're going to come for the founders. They're going to come for Washington and Jefferson. It's going to happen. Oh, no, they won't. Oh, yes, they will. And they currently are doing so. But what about statues of Jesus? And this started, I I saw this conversation as it was happening online between various journos and thought leaders and influencers and, you know, whatever, whoever and whatever. Uh, They said, well, what about Jesus? Are you going to come for Jesus statues too? Is Jesus part of the patriarchy? I mean, in a sense, he, you know, Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. I mean, I guess he he is the patriarchy. But... Are they really going to come after Jesus? And the answer is yes, according to some leftists. Sean King, Torre, uh, a gentleman who is only, it was not very gentlemanly at all from what I understand uh, from people who have worked with him, but uh, who is only known by one name. That's, I thought that was mostly what you'd have with, uh, you know, soccer players. But anyway, he, he said, what is the parody here? This is about... Oh, I'm sorry. Let, let me let me take you through this discussion because I have all of it. Sean King uh, says, yes, I think the statues of the white European they claim is Jesus should also come down. This is perhaps the most well-known BLM voice out there, right? I mean, Sean King, who if you go back into his background and look around a little bit, you'll just go, I, I cannot believe that this is really the situation that we're all dealing I cannot believe that this guy is able to get away with this, but I think the statues of the white European they claim is Jesus should also come down. They are a form of white supremacy, he writes, always have been. In the Bible, when the family of Jesus wanted to hide and blend in, guess where they went? Egypt, not Denmark. Tear them down now charlie sykes who is one of these 
narcissistic, sanctimonious, former conservative idiots who has built a career now trashing Trump and everybody who supports Trump because he wasn't important enough in the Trump era. So it's all about him. He's a surly and deeply unimpressive fellow. I don't know why anybody ever listened to him on radio in Wisconsin or Minnesota or wherever he had a show that was on a, a couple of stations. Uh, but he said, I know we live in a post-parody world, but please tell me this is parody. So he's willing to say, come on, guys, we're not really going to like, I, I know Trump is Trump is worse than Hitler and all that, but we're not really going to have the left and the Democrats now tell us they're going to tear down Jesus statues. And then Mr. Torre, um, who just as an interesting side note, uh, is, is very concerned with social justice issues and class warfare in general. Um, I believe he attended the elite Milton Academy boarding school, which I think costs something like $50,000 a year. And uh, yes, so, but you know, that's fine. I just think it's interesting that somebody is so concerned with the struggle of those who are not wealthy, those who are in different oppressed classes, uh, happen to benefit substantially in his academic rise from going to a very, very elite institution. You see this a lot. People that are lecturing everybody else about the oppressed, but they're the first one to waive their you know, degree from Yale. If, they can, if we're going to keep calling it Yale, they'll wave these degrees in your face, um, but also then lecture you on how much they understand the struggle. And you sit here and say, where is, the, where is the gratitude for the greatness of American society that Anyway, but Mr. Torre says, uh, Charlie, where is the parody here? Jesus looked a lot more like me than the blonde, blue-eyed person we see. That Europeanized vision of Jesus is a form of, get ready for it, white supremacy. The statues of him perpetuate that. What part of that can you disagree with? Well, see, this is very interesting um, because there are different cultures all over the world where, where Christianity has spread. And there are, in fact, many different versions of Jesus that appear. And I have, I have friends who will tell you that if you go, for example, to some churches in Korea, uh, Jesus may look more like someone of Asian descent. I went online right before I came on here to see how many statues there are of black Jesus that you can buy, and there's merchandise, and it's all over the place. You know, people have many different representations of Jesus. Oh, but if, if Jesus... And I don't even know if they would understand this on the left or they would care. But we often in in the, at least I can speak to the Catholic tradition, Jesus and the spread of Christianity throughout Europe uh, and the Renaissance and then the Reformation. And uh, Jesus evolved in the depiction to be more like to to resemble more the population of Europe during the Renaissance. And then some of the most famous sculptures and most famous statues and paintings we're representative of that. So, you know, when, when Michelangelo is painting the Sistine Chapel and Jesus looks like a northern Italian, it's not white supremacy. It's because he was trying to show a version, a depiction of Jesus that would resonate with the people of Italy at the time. But can the Sistine Chapel then really stay? You know, I, I, I want to take their logic. I want to take the left's logic to its, to its real uh, end here. Can the Sistine Chapel stay? Um, well, not if the depictions of Jesus look as they do, because we're told that this is now white supremacy. So does that statue come down? 
does that statue uh, all of a sudden no longer, or rather, does that, that incredible work of art, I should say. I mean, statue is a general term here. I don't know what people really think of this. I don't know where the left wants to take this. Um, but it's insane. It's insane. I mean, that, that much we've all established. Now we're gonna, you're going to start trying to tear down Jesus statues now. And so we don't know what Jesus looked like. We only have depictions of him through the ages, through Christian sculptors and artists. We have no idea what Jesus actually looked like. Um, he was Jewish, so he might have looked like uh, what, what we think of perhaps as a, um, a, a Jew from the eastern Mediterranean region. I mean, we don't really know, but who cares? The point is that he's the son of God. The point is that he is the savior for Christians and that he has brought everlasting life to, to humanity. It's not about what sculptors in, you know, Italy made him look like 500 years ago, but cancel everything. You can always, there's always room for another cancellation. There's always room to tear down more. There is nothing. When I say there's nothing sacred to the left, I actually mean often sacred sacred although i don't think that there will be a big move on the left anytime soon to uh anytime soon to be coming to grips with say the founder of a religion who had a founder of a religion who had uh slaves and executed captives in war captured in war and also might have married somebody who was very young. I don't think that there will be any coming to grips with that history. It's only what is useful to tear down Western civilization. We see this, we understand this, and we have to know what the enemy is planning here, so to speak, if we are going to confront them on the battlefield of ideas and win. But don't think that anything is sacred. There is nothing that they will not tear down if they can, and we'll continue to see this as it is. I also want to note you know, during the French Revolution, which you're hearing talked about a lot now because these mobs on the street, they do have a Jacobin vibe. They do feel very similar to those who were storming the Bastille back in the day, which did not end well for the people inside the Bastille, I will have you know. But whereas the sacred principles of liberty and equality, this was a law passed by the uh, French Commune, uh, back in, I think it was 1790. Whereas the sacred principles of liberty and equality will not permit the existence of monuments raised to ostentation, prejudice, and tyranny to continue to offend the eyes of the French people, whereas the bronze in these monuments can be converted into cannon for the defense of la patrie, it is decreed all statues, base reliefs, inscriptions, and other monuments made of bronze or other metals which exist in public squares, gardens, parks, public buildings, will be removed by the communes. The second article provided for the conversion of this metal into canon. All monuments containing traces of feudalism of whatever nature that still remain in churches or other public places, and even those in private homes, shall, without the slightest delay, be destroyed by the communes. That's right. First they came from the monuments, destroyed those, and then they renamed a square Place de la, uh, Place de la Revol Revolution. And then they set up something called La Guillotine. And then they started lopping people's heads off. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. 
I, I was uh, covering the rally live uh, on Saturday when, when he said that, and and I remember my my heart sort of sank uh, right away. Uh, the, I told them to slow down the testing. That's what he said. Um, first of all, it, it made my heart sink because it's it's the one thing really that you know we need to be doing more of to try and get ourselves out of this mess. It's the one thing that many countries have have done well that has helped their their case counts be in the hundreds, not the thousands, hundreds of thousands. Um, but but also you know there was always this sort of this idea that we we did not do testing early here. We were behind the ball when that cruise ship came in. The president said at that point, "Why do I want to test all those people?" People. Those are going to make my numbers look bad. I mean, there was always this, but it was always sort of, you know, seemingly in jest maybe at the time. But then when he said it again at the rally, my heart sank because I thought, has he been telling people to slow down testing? Mm-hmm. I'm curious what the coronavirus task force would say to that. He's not telling people to test less. Do we have to go through this? You know, he's not telling people don't get tested for coronavirus. I went to the White House a month ago. Everybody going in the White House has to get tested. I mean, come on, man. He's not saying this, but the politics of COVID-19 have come back with a vengeance. After the hundreds of thousands of people out in the streets spreading COVID to each other. But no big deal, because that was for social justice, right? We're supposed to not care very much about that we're supposed to think that that doesn't matter um or or it was justified it was justified that's you know who needs social distancing when you have social justice okay um now we're hearing all this about the rise in in COVID-19 I would want to understand something um why aren't we in New York where we had the worst cases of this why aren't we seeing a resurgence we're we're going into greater openness and more and more people out there. We haven't seen any resurgence. So why is it that these states, you know, Texas and Florida, were being told there's a difference between knowing that there are more cases and actually being in a worse place fighting against this pandemic, right? That's... That's something the media is just pretending is a distinction that they can't grasp at all, but they should be able to. They should be able to. Um, But right now, this is all about the mood of the country, and all they have to do is drag this out. They're not going to get a full-scale national lockdown again before the election. They know that. But if they can just, you know, another month of delay in New York, maybe a rollback in, in Florida, oh, if they can start to get that to happen... Then the talking points from the Democrats write themselves. Here is what we know. Uh, First of all, uh, dexamethasone, which is a very old drug, not expensive. It's a steroid, has been shown to be effective in treating. And there's been much less fanfare around this. There was a a lot of talk about remdesivir, which did not have quite as uh, gold standard a study as what we've seen with dexamethasone. Dexamethasone is a steroid, and it seems to be seems to show uh, significantly decreased mortality for those who have a severe case of this disease of COVID-19. So that's good news. The treatment of this has gotten better. The panic around this for doctors and medical professionals is substantially less than it was. Hospitals are not overwhelmed. There's there's certainly things to be pleased with here and and look at as, as progress. Uh, I know that, you know, so remdesivir has talked about it's not, you know, they need to do a little more study on that one. And that's also intravenous, whereas dexamethasone is a pill that you can take. 
which is much easier, obviously. Now we get to the hydroxychloroquine, which has fallen off. But hydroxychloroquine was used for very, very sick patients when really the use case for that from the very earliest days was supposed to be as a prophylaxis against COVID-19 infection. And we, I have not seen studies on that, but the studies on it for the treatment of people in the hospital so far have not been conclusive of any, uh, have not been conclusive of, of any substantial benefit. But, you know, everyone who's thinking that there's going to be a vaccine for this and that's the only way out, uh, let's hope. Let's hope that vaccine comes soon. But we have to go about our lives anyway. We cannot put the world on hold in the hopes that the medical community, which has done, I mean, the public health community, really. Not, see, that's the thing. It's not the COVID-19 researchers working for big companies that were in this because they're just trying to actually do useful work. It's the I'm an epidemiologist who's at the university of such and such. And I want to go on MSNBC. Those people came out. And after all of the you can't go outside, you can't go to a family member's funeral, no go to restaurants, no graduations, all this stuff to say, well, it's really important that we have all these protests happening. And so even if there's a risk of COVID-19, I think for public health, some of them are saying it's good for public health because of the ending of systemic racism that these protests would do, which we all know is preposterous. And, uh, and, but there's been a real lack or rather a real uh, uh, damage done to the trust that we can have in these, in these public health experts. And that's not going to change anytime soon. But they're now going to turn to Dr. Fauci again. He's going to come out and say, look, we're heading maybe second wave, maybe third wave. Mitigation efforts need to return. We don't want to have a, a rollback of the mitigation. So, you know, we're not clear yet. The data tells us to keep working on the mitigation of data and, you know, all that stuff. We're going to get back to that now. Does this guy have any answers? No, other than stop living your life and hide under your bed. That's not that helpful. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. These are days when people who will speak about these issues fearlessly and honestly are in short supply, but I managed to uh, find one for your listening and viewing entertainment. We have Matt Walsh of The Daily Wire joining us right now. He's the host of The Matt Walsh Show, also has a great blog. Uh, Mr. Walsh, good to have you back. Hey, Buck. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. So you got quite a shout out from Tucker on his show last night on Fox News and also the president retweeted a thread that you've put out online. Tell me about what this thread shows. And now the president has obviously shared it with his 80 million plus followers. Tucker told his four million viewers last night about it. What's in the thread and what has been the response? Yeah, and I appreciate Tucker, uh, you know, being one of the old the guy with his platform. There aren't many people with his platform that are willing to talk about these things, so I appreciate that. Um, the um, it was a thread. Uh, the thing that the president retweeted was uh, was video of uh, a Macy's employee, a white Macy's employee, being just brutally assaulted by uh, a black man, you know, in, in the middle of Macy's, and it was all on film. And uh, this is this is part of a trend. This has been happening more and more recently. And so on a separate thread, I provided other examples of white people being assaulted. Uh, oftentimes, just, you know, we say brutal, and sometimes we always describe assaults as brutal, but this, some of these things are, are, are just really tough to watch. I mean, you've got the Macy's employee was on the ground just begging while the guy's pummeling him, 
And uh, so things like that, and th this is happening. Nobody's talking about it. What, I, what I've discovered is, and of course I'm not surprised, is that if you even bring it up, if you simply say, hey, this is happening, it's not good, you're racist for that somehow. Uh, so that, that's what I've discovered over the last couple of days. I've even seen some conservatives, Matt, who recoil from the sharing of videos of the, you, you, the ones that you have, for example, of people just being randomly assaulted, but also there is clearly an effort underway to create a right-wing, you know, vehicular weapon narrative when, in, when what we have are all these videos of protesters mobbing cars, shattering windshields, trying to rip people out of the vehicles, and they drive away. I keep saying this. If I'm in the car solo, and definitely if I have any of my family in there, and an angry mob is bashing my windshield... I don't want to hurt anybody, but I'm hitting the accelerator. The mainstream media, though, CNN and others, don't even show these videos. Why? Yeah, and that's and that's all of these videos. It's about we should be showing them. And the only reason, it's not about trying to build our own narrative. I'm not interested in any narrative. I'm just interested in people knowing the truth. When it comes to the cars, yeah, if someone is trying to, if a mob of people are, are, are swarming your car, the last thing you should do is stop for them. It's just it's about your safety, the safety of your children. So you're going to keep going. And with these, with these other videos, listen, anyone that's squeamish about it, just imagine, you know, with, with the Macy's uh, video, imagine the races are reversed and you've got uh, a white man beating a black Macy's employee while he's on the ground begging. Would, would any, is there any doubt that that would be shared all over the place? Would anyone feel weird about sharing it? Uh, so I, I just, and I've seen some of the same comments you're talking about from even conservative pundits saying, well, why are we sharing this? What do you mean, why are we sharing it? You wouldn't be saying that if we reverse the races, so why should we share it? It's, these are victims that are being victimized, and we, we should talk about it, especially when in some of these cases nobody's even been arrested for doing it. So I, I think that maybe justice should be done. I think that the, the grounds upon which the left and the right can assume there is agreement has, has shrunk to very, very little. I mean, even things like violence against people you know, violence against innocent people is bad. Well, no, that's not actually something you can get the whole left to sign on for because they'll tell you, well, it depends. Is there is this in an area where there was systemic discrimination or historic racism? And that has to be taken into account. Well, I mean, if that's the case, how is anyone held to account for anything anymore? I mean, you can always come up with some narrative of what some other person at some other time period did that can justify hateful actions today. And just the the. The immorality, Matt, and the incoherence of this is kind of mind-boggling to me right now. Yeah, and that's what makes it so hard to engage with because there's nothing, there's no, there's there's nothing rational about it. So there's nothing really. If you're trying to have a rational dialogue, there's no, there's no common ground to find. You're, you're talking to someone who's basing this entirely on emotion. Obviously, there 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 is no coherent defense you could offer for the idea that it's okay to assault someone to brutalize them because of crimes that were committed by other people in history. The, the, the idea that some random guy at Macy's or wherever else is responsible for that is, is completely insane. And you know, the other thing that I've, I've heard, um, there's, you know, from the left you'll get, when it comes to, to clearly innocent people being assaulted, what they'll do is they'll say, well, we have to understand the people that are the aggressive, we have to understand where they're coming from. But then often there's this, there's this assumption, like with the Macy's guy, the claim was that he said the N-word, which is totally false. He didn't. That was fabricated. But what, what we discovered is that what the left is saying is, you know, if, if you do say a word like that, a bad word, then, yeah, we're, we're totally on board for, for you getting beaten. Uh, now, I mean, call me crazy, but the N-word is bad. You shouldn't say it. 
But even if someone does say that, that doesn't mean you can assault them. I thought we all, aren't we all on the same page there? There is no word a person could say to however bad it may be that would justify felony assault against them. But that's Apparently, that's uh, not common ground anymore. We're speaking to Matt Walsh, uh, host of the Matt Walsh Show, and he's over at the Daily Wire. And look, you guys are one of the few places, uh, you know, there's you, there's the Federalist. There are a few places these days where it feels like people will, will engage with these ideas without the constant throat clearing about, well, and the protesters have legitimate grievances and and the hand wringing about, oh, systemic racism. I'm like, these They've got they've got white dudes with man buns standing in front of black police officers in D.C. yelling about how the black officer's family should be ashamed of him. And we're supposed to believe that this movement is really is really about oppressed minorities. I mean, it's just it, it defy it defies logic. It defies common sense. It's completely insane. But to your, your 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 willingness, Matt, to share things that then people say, why would you share this? I've noticed this trend of uh, people that share video of day-to-day interactions where they're really trying to catch someone in something where they can then call them a racist and then maybe dox them and ruin their life. And this is treated by the media as some kind of a sport now. Yeah, yeah, this this doxing and humiliation of people, especially people that are, are claimed to have committed some sort of racial slight, uh, it's, ve- it's very disturbing. I mean, the, the latest thing today, this, this woman, yep. uh, you know, viral video of a woman being harassed because she supposedly flipped somebody off in traffic and you know the and and and, and supposedly said the ra- a racial slur which i don't believe for a second by the way but even if she said it i mean this this guy follows her back to her house puts her on video takes her license plate her address what her house looks like and he's trying to get this woman killed and in this environment you can get someone killed doing that and the left is just openly applauding this kind of behavior like if it, so, so now we're, we're, we're saying that a man has a right to follow a woman back to her house if he if she makes a gesture towards him that he doesn't like. Well, this is and and incite and as you point out, incite violence against her. Really, I mean, because they, you know now now she's going to be a target for target for hate and the violations of privacy here. And what's truly stunning, to me, first of all, the 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 feminists, the like that's all. Uh, there's all this silence about the term Karen and the humiliation of what are generally, I'm not that this matters, but liberal white women in some of these, in some of these videos and some of this context, and everyone's throwing on this term Karen all the time. And I, I think it's interesting that let liberals are silent upon what feels sometimes like this, you know, men who are clearly humiliating women in the public sphere. They, they, have, they have no problem with that at all. But you also, Matt, have to, when you see these videos, there's, there's a clear lack of caring about what the initial facts are before the media has already ruined this person. And she will probably, and this woman will probably get fired. I mean, I'd say that's a good chance that if her, if her workplace finds out about this video, even if she didn't do anything. And by the way, I've flipped off plenty of people. I'm a nice guy. I'm polite. But, you know, in traffic, sometimes here in New York, things happen. But as you say, she didn't. There's no evidence she said a racial slur. This guy has like some, what's his, what's the guy's Twitter handle? I mean, it's, it's something. Yeah, it's- his Twitter handle is, is literally white white people hate that he's advertising his hate for white people and this is what he does apparently he just he's a BLM activist and he he's constantly claiming yeah. that people are saying yeah. racial slurs no one called on right. no one no one called him a racial slur I know we're not allowed to actually make intelligent judgments about these things Matt but no one called him a racial slur um, and she this woman might actually face severe consequences I want to ask you um, and everyone should check on the Matt Wall show but w- just one more for you Matt uh, this situation of this this NASCAR driver, Bubba Wallace, the the allegation that a noose was put in his garage stall. 
I keep asking, where is the photo of the news? I'm not saying that this is a hoax. I'm just saying, where's the photo of the news? Where are you on this? Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, they say absence of evidence is not evidence or, or uh, yeah, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. That, that's the phrase. But I, I think sometimes it is because w- when there should be, in this case, there should be evidence, really good evidence that would be easily provided with a photo of the news. Also, there's going to be, uh, these are highly secure areas. There's going to be security camera footage everywhere. Whoever did it, if it was done at all, it's going to be on camera. So at a minimum, we should have a photo of the news by now, if not video of somebody putting it up. We have none of those things. It's been a couple of days now. It's very strange, especially when you have Bubba Wallace and, uh, you know, the president of NASCAR, they're out in the media being asked about these hoax theories, and they're talking about how hurt they and offended they are by it. But if you're hurt and offended, then, then, then you could easily dispel the hoaxes and, and also shame people that have speculated that it might be a hoax by just saying, well, here it is. Here's the news. And the fact that they're not doing that uh, is very, very suspicious to me. But we also have to, you know, this doesn't necessarily mean it was a totally staged thing. It could be that it was something misinterpreted and then NAS- NASCAR jumped on board with it and now they're going to be too embarrassed to say never mind. So there's all kinds of explanations for it. There, there have but, been, um, there, to your point about that, Matt, there have been two prominent and already dispelled cases where people thought they called it in as a hate crime and then they found, you know, I'm sure you know the one in Oakland and then one here in New York City in Marcus Garvey Park. One was a rope used to hoist construction material. The construction boss just said, yeah, we just you know, didn't clean up the site perfectly, but that's all that was. And the one in Oakland was a guy who was using ropes, five ropes that weren't nooses, by the way, for exercise purposes, who was a black guy who came forward and said this. Yeah, and not only that, but in the Oakland case, even after they had the protests out saying there's a noose, the black guy comes out and says, no, 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 it's not a noose, I put it there. They still kept protesting, and the mayor of Oakland came out and, and, said, and said that it, it, the intention doesn't matter. It's, it's still, some intention doesn't matter with hate crimes now. It's exa- that are her words exactly. And we talk about being irrational and not being able to engage. Well, if that's, if that's what we're being told, if, if your intention doesn't matter with a hate crime anymore, then where do you go from that? Because a hate crime is supposed to be all about intention. That's literally the only thing that matters with a hate crime. Uh, but that's, that's where we are now, apparently. Matt Walsh, everybody, check out the Matt Walsh Show. Read his stuff over at the Daily Wire. Mr. Walsh, always good to have you, sir. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Karen, are you okay? Can you explain to me calmly? No, because you're attacking me right now. I'm not attacking you, ma'am. You flicked me off. Guys, this is her license plate number. She lives no. here. This is her address. No, this is not true. No. Karen, you flipped me off. No, you not. cut me off and flipped me off, and now you're playing the victim. Ma'am, would you like to calm down? Guys, she flipped me off. That's the uh, audio of what Matt Walsh and I were talking about before. It goes on at some length. I mean, this guy, this Black Lives Matter activist, is uh, just clearly a really vicious, vicious person, um, uh, turning what is a, under any normal circumstances, yeah, people, people cut each other off on the road. I'm not saying it's like a nice thing to do. And people sometimes, you know, give the one finger salute when there's traffic and they're getting a little tense about whatever. I don't believe him when he claims that there was a racial slur because this guy, all he does is try to create, in, you know, try to find incidents of racial slurs being thrown at him and get a lot of attention. 
But do you think that the media stops to verify any of this beforehand? No, I mean, they'll big blue checks on Twitter with large followings, you know, people that have big platforms in the media sphere, they will share all this stuff, and this woman's life, her reputation will be ruined before the facts even can come out, before we even know anything. And all you have to do is spend two minutes looking at the uh, social media account of the guy who's put this stuff up there. And this video has been viewed millions of times, okay? This woman is clearly in deep psychological duress, understandably from the perspective of now she's going to be this guy. This is all he does. He goes and he he shares videos of people and they're, you know, they, um, you know, then there's a pile on online. And, and I just I, I bring this to your attention because I want everyone listening to, this to understand the mob will come for you, too. And, and you could say, oh, no, Buck, and I live in a. I live in a you know red part of a state, and my neighbors are good people and whatever. You know, do you ever you ever go fly in a plane somewhere else in the country? Not these days, but you know, people generally do. Got to go visit relatives in some city somewhere. I mean, you know, you're not you're don't don't think just because your community isn't full of psycho left wing activists that you're not going to come into contact with. Like, and by the way, if there is a, if there is a place where there aren't psychotic left wing activists, I'd like to know where that is. Start to. Uh, thinking about the mobile, setting up the mobile freedom hut there. Um, but the truth is you'll be dealing with this anywhere in the country, and it doesn't matter if you're a private person. It doesn't matter if you live your life without your politics out in the public sphere. They'll come for you. I'm not saying they're going to come for every single one of you, but they don't have to either. You're not immune from the cancel mob just because you're a private person. In fact, they recognize as part of the tactics, just like tearing down the statues is a tactic, they recognize that the destruction uh, of individuals who aren't famous or prominent or politicians or in the media, that sends an even more potent message, which is if you do not become part of this hive mind, if you're not part of the Borg, you know, Star Trek reference, right? if you're not part of the collective of the left, and do what we say and accept our authoritarianism and be a part of this movement to destroy free thought and freedom, because ultimately that is what the left is trying to do here. Uh, they, they'll, they might come for you, too. And your workplace, you know, if you work for a big company, some of you I know work for yourselves. Or you work, you know, you own a small company or work at a small company where you might be better protected from this kind of cancel culture nonsense. But if you work for any any big corporation... Um, when the cancel mob comes for you, you're done. They're going to fire you. They're going to fire you because they, oh, you know, we can't handle this and everything else. There is a plague of cowardice in this country right now. It is a plague. It's all over the place. And people in corporate America, you know, who are, especially if they've, you know, make, making good money and they're fat and happy, so to speak, they, they, all they want is, you know, they just want the cash to keep flowing. They want to keep their job. They don't care what's happened in the country. They're not, not going to do anything. And I'm talking about people who, if they got fired, you know, they wouldn't have to work again. Or maybe they've got five or ten years to figure out their next move. There are a lot of people like that in corporate America, but you know what? Still cowards. Still cowards. And in the media, including conservative media. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If Joe Biden gets elected president of the United States, what does that mean for America exactly? Well, I can tell you what it means for your religion. It means choice. It means uh, that you're going to put a radical lefty on the court, and that's going to be the end of uh, uh, pro-life. It won't even have a chance. So that's what it means. Nobody's been more pro, as you know, you've heard it many times. I think you might have said it yourself, but uh, nobody has been more pro-life as president than I have. We'll see. I think the Supreme Court this week is going to have its first major ruling come down on abortion. And I got to tell you, if we there's already a lot of concern about the conservative legal project, you could call it. There are a lot of folks who are saying, hold, hold on a second. So even when we have a Republican president who's picking judges that the Federalist Society says this is the best we can do, the best we've got in America, we still get wildly unconstitutional rulings, policymaking from the federal uh, from the Supreme Court bench. And that's supposed that's something that we now are seeing on major issues. If we see this on abortion, I've got to say that's that's going to be a big challenge for the president because judges were a part of the bargain. And Trump kept his end on this one. I will say that I, I do not. Trump has put the judges forward that people all they do in life is study the best, most constitutionally sound legal minds possible and put them forward. The Federalist Society they're, they're You know, we, we we've gotten Trump has gotten through the judges that he was supposed to. And he kept his word on that. And people need to be honest about this. And it still doesn't matter. It still hasn't meant that everything is, uh, well, that, that the major issues are being decided in a way that conservatives would be aligned with. And that's, and this is not about politics, it's about the Constitution. I know it's, you know, we don't want to turn the Supreme Court into a super legislature, but it is a super legislature. And so at least we can hope that on clear textual issues, on, on clear issues of this is what the law says, the conservatives on the court will actually treat the law as the law and not make something else up instead. But that's not what's happening. So I have concerns about that. Uh, and especially if we have a bad decision come down here on an, on an upcoming abortion case, maybe the evangelical vote is a little bit suppressed as a result. You know, maybe some Christians that are a little sick of some of the and look, I think that voting for Joe Biden is obviously insane and a terrible idea. And I don't understand how you can be a believing traditional Christian and think that what Joe Biden stands for, just when you look at the issue of abortion, is something that you could ever support. But I people come up with all kinds of justifications for these things. The good news for our side, it's not great news, but the good news is that Joe Biden is a really bad candidate, that Joe Biden is not someone who anyone is inspired by. No one believes that Joe Biden is great. Even Biden supporters, even the people that work around Biden, no one thinks he's a change, uh, change the game kind of a candidate. No one thinks that he's going to be bringing things to the table that are going to make enormous positive uh, strides for this country. No, nope, not at all. He's a puppet. The problem is that's perfect. The Democrats, that's what they want. Joe Biden is the empty vessel through which they plan on pursuing the most radical and left-wing policies imaginable. Um, and that's why Maggie Haberman, who is a New York Times reporter, 
You know, Maggie's not supposed to say this stuff. Maggie said something that got her into quite a bit of trouble by just stating. And this isn't like, oh, she's done this great analysis or, oh, so, so brave, so brave from Maggie Haberman, New York Times White House reporter. No, she just said, look, Joe Biden's not a great candidate. We all know it, right? Oh, my gosh. You're not allowed to work at the New York Times and say anything other than Joe Biden is the greatest candidate in the history of candidates. He's amazing and he's fantastic. And why don't you see this? That's right. Joe Biden. Not allowed to say it. Play uh, producer Brandon. Play clip 11, please. Joe Biden is still a very flawed candidate. Um, He is running a flawed campaign so far. There are still four months left. They have to have what are supposed to be three general election debates. Uh, Four and a half months ago, we were not talking about the coronavirus the way we are talking right now. So a lot can happen. And I do think it is important to remember that, that at the end of the day, elections are still binary. And people, if they decide to vote, unless they decide to write someone in, are going to make a choice between these two men. And there are going to be a lot of people who, even if they are unhappy with Donald Trump right now, there will be people who still decide to vote for him in the end. We do, it is a real mistake for anybody to start calling the election today. Yep. That's the most straightforward, Captain Obvious analysis of politics right now you could ever imagine. Right? Joe Biden is a weak candidate. We all know it. Yeah, Trump's in trouble right now politically, but things can change with the economy. Things can start to look better. And at the end of the day, it's going to be Biden or Trump. So don't start don't start popping the champagne corks quite yet, Libs. This is what Maggie Haberman's telling them. And she's a, a you know, a, an, among the elite journo Libs. She's one who you would think would be able to say things that are true, that are that are true and obvious about the Democrats candidate. But nope, not allowed. Unacceptable. So that then takes uh, that that then shows you what we're what we're all facing here. That that shows you that they can't even have a very straightforward conversation about American politics without people getting very upset. Very upset. Um, And now there's one other thing that I wanted to bring up, uh, and that is how how exactly the left continues to expand its coalition of interests and to use identity politics to its advantage. And what are the ways that they try to use what is what was started as this Black Lives Matter movement and then has been expanded much more broadly into all these other left-wing causes, they need some philosophy behind all of this. That's not Marxism. That's not socialism. At least they can't be open about that. That is the ideology, but they, they have to come up with other things. And so some of the younger, more radical members of Congress, like AOC, end up becoming the thought leaders of the left-wing movement here, which I know, AOC, thought leader, a fascinating thing to say. Here is AOC on, well, I'll, I'll let her speak for herself, and then we'll just, we'll just work through this for a moment or two. Play clip four. And now that you talk about race, uh, what do you think the Latinx community should do to stop racism among them and among other races? Yeah, well, I, the first thing that's so important is for us to talk about racism within our community and how we fit both how we are both impacted by racism in the United States and across the world, but also how it exists within our own communities. And, um, you know, a lot of times I'll hear people say, okay, this is about Black Lives Matter. What about 
Latinos. And I always say Latinos are black. <laughs> we, we are Afro-Latina and um, we, we run an entire racial spectrum. And so we have to have conversations around colorism and we have to have conversations about the African and indigenous roots from which we come and how that's reflected in systems of power, wealth inequality, and frankly, our, our political system. Okay. Let, let's let's unpack this a little bit. Some people from the Latin American world uh, are, are black. That, that is true. And to say Latinos are black, she nine, a lot of conservatives. I saw this as social media jumped on this. OK, she she was speaking in broad. Alex, I'm, I'm not I'm not somebody who just pretends that people say dumber things than they do. She's speaking in broad terms. And there's there's truth is obviously there are anyone who has any familiarity with uh, with the Cuban population, for example, knows that there are people who are very light skinned and fair haired who are Cuban. And there are people who are uh, who are very dark skinned who are Cuban. And so she's talking about what she refers to as as colorism here. But see, I, I think what's what's so what's fascinating is that when you start to look at the left and this issue, um, race is so much more complicated, even than the left wing theorists are willing to to tackle as an issue because you know if you're looking at race globally there's racism all over the world there's racism within societies where they're aware it, it's not about uh, anyone who, who is racist against people of african origin it is truly just a a skin color uh a, a skin color racism right people who are darker in parts of south and east asia are looked down upon in a form of racism by people who are of the same nationality but aren't as dark. So there are so many different ways that you can look at this and approach this issue. And then at all, you, you want to ask questions. You want to say, well, hold on a second. Then is someone facing greater racism because of the darkness of their skin color? Or is it more about their uh, their nationality, their, you know, their identity? These are things that are in you know, I, I, I actually do find this interesting. And the left is going to eventually have to tackle this issue in a way that I think is not really going to be very coherent. And this is why racial politics eventually becomes it's so clear that it's, it's so divisive because we're all a mix of different things. Right. She's saying the, Latin, the Latinx, which is now what they call the Latino Latina community, uh, the Latinx community is black. Well, there are black people in the Latina community, but. There are people within many communities that have lots of different ethnic origins and how they identify as a racial categorization is often much more complicated than what you can write or what you can say in one word. And so then aren't aren't we heading toward a world where we understand that these issues of like someone's race is so unimportant to what anyone it's 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 irrelevant to how in a free society of decent people we view each other. So why are they always focusing in on it instead of understanding that we all have a complicated history of where we come from in our past and so we're just Americans? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, it's a very important moment in American politics, and it's a time when we should look to those who have been in these fights before and been successful in these fights before. And with that, I bring you Mr. Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the House. He's got a book out now, Trump and the American Future, Solving the Great Problems of Our Time. 
Mr. Speaker, great to have you on, sir. Well, I'm delighted, and it's always fun to be with you, and uh, I'm very excited about my new book. Yeah, please tell us about this, because right now, yeah. I'm just going to say it, uh, Mr. Gingrich, it feels to me like Trump is not, you know, the, the movement and the momentum is not where I want it to be right now. It feels a little stalled out. What has to happen here to get uh, Trump moving again and the movement moving again? Well, I think in Trump's case, first of all, he's got to keep focusing on economic growth. Uh, if he gets the economy growing again, uh, <clears throat> he'll be in dramatically better shape than if it's still in the doldrums. He doesn't have to get back to where it was in February. But people have to have a sense by September that things are happening, that it's going better, <clears throat> and that they can see that his, his strategy by next year will make us prosperous again the way we were back in, you know, in February and January. And so, second, I think. Go ahead, go ahead, sir. I was say, so, well, second, I think he has to explain clearly what a victory for um, Pelosi, Schumer, and Biden would be like and what their policies would be like and why that would be totally unacceptable to the country. And I think if he does it correctly, uh, it'll be amazingly effective because the truth is uh, their policies uh, are basically so far to the left they're crazy. Now, in the book, you, you, the, the subtitle, Solving the Great Problems of Our Time, if, if you could sit down with this president and have one problem that you would dive into with him that you feel like this is, this is central, essential, and one from which so many others would either be solved or other issues would go away, let's say, what would it be? I mean, if you could get the president to get focused in on one thing right now, other than obviously just getting the economy up and running, I mean longer term, structurally, given what we see in this well, country. It would be education. I mean, we, we have the fourth most expensive school system in America is Baltimore. They have entire buildings in which not a single student can pass the state exam. Not one. Now, that means they're not going to be able to read and write. They're not going to be able to get a job. They're not going to have a decent future. They're going to end up in jail. Um, and, and until we solve the problem of our education system, everything else is going to remain screwed up. It's, it's a, and, and we're never going to compete with the Chinese if we keep producing thousands and thousands of people uh, who, who can't do anything. So in my mind, the deepest crisis in the United States today is the absolute breakdown of its education system, which comes in two forms. One is, among poor children, uh, they don't get K through 12 very effectively. And among wealthy children, they're being taught junk. I mean, they, I, I do a newsletter that's free at, at Kingwood 316. I did one recently on three generations of brainwashing. I mean, you've you got people out here who are being taught stuff that's just false. We're speaking to so, former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich. He's got a new book out, coming out uh Right now, actually, Trump and the American future solving the great problems of our time. Uh, Mr. Speaker, ha have you I mean, have you ever thought even I mean, I know you're seeing what we're all seeing, too, about the statues and 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 the the desecration of so much of our shared culture as Americans and, and history and heritage and just all the things that are, you know, Columbus statues, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, all these things now are being attacked and, and destroyed. Uh, how do we turn this around? Tell the truth about it. These people are barbarians. You know, when the Taliban destroyed two great Buddhas, uh, one was 120 feet tall and the other was 170 feet tall, uh, the entire world condemned them because it was so obvious, you know, that what they were doing is crazy. Well, this is crazy. Um, 
you know, when, when people who claim they care about civil rights uh, deface the statue in, in, in Boston of Colonel Shaw, who organized the first free black regiment in the Union Army in the Civil War, uh, they're, they're showing you that they're ignorant and they're barbarians and they're hateful. And the correct answer, I think, is what Trump just started down the road to do, which is make sure that it's a crime and lock them up. I mean, if we don't have the courage to stand up for our own civilization, we should not expect it to survive. And wh- why is it that we don't hear more about how this is a Democrat movement? I- I'm, I'm trying to get people away from using these, oh, you know, yelling about how they're socialists and they're leftists. I- and those are true. And I use those terms as well. But these are these are Biden voters that are pulling down the statues, yeah, quite well, obviously. I thought the, 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 look, the president began to hit on it in Tulsa. Saturday night, when he made the point, when you look at the big cities, every single big city that is a disaster has been run by Democrats for generations. They have had the mayor's office in Chicago for nine decades, but they want to blame us. Uh, Biden has been in, in, in Washington for 48 years, but he wants to blame us. Baltimore had its last Republican mayor 56 years ago. Pelosi's father and Pelosi's brother were both mayors of Baltimore. But they want to blame us. We have to have the guts to get stand up. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It is indeed roll call time, everyone. Thank you for sending in all of your thoughts. We always appreciate it. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com if you want to email. And if you want to call in, because we love the voicemail stuff too. 844-900-BUCK, 844-900-2825. That's right. That's that's how we want it. So please do uh, leave us a nice voicemail. Keep it to less than 45 seconds, and we'll have some of those ready for you later on this week. Uh, Less than a minute is fine, but, you know, 30 to 45 seconds is the sweet spot for the voicemails. If you leave a six-minute voicemail, producer Mark is just not that patient, and neither is producer Brandon. Don't don't leave a six minute voicemail, please, because you're just going to be speaking and no one's going to hear it past a minute because they're going to delete it. All right. Ryan. Hey, Buck was listening to the show the other day. You were talking about New York State and their ludicrous gun laws. I'm a fellow New Yorker and a gun owner. I recently took an interest in obtaining a pistol permit. There's all kinds of crazy stuff in my county. Schenectady to jump through. Wanted to share my story. Yeah, man. Look, thank you for sharing this with me. Um, I appreciate it. I know that this is a. A real challenge, um, and I think actually I might have even read this particular roll call from you in the past. So I just as as I realize that right now, I might have had a might have had an issue with that. So, uh, but thank you anyway. It's important. Tim writes, "What's happening, Buck? Do you think the bloodthirsty activist will ever catch up to Ralph Northam and his blackface photo? He's not even sure if he's the one of the blackface or the Klansman hood. To me." That either means he's dressed as both before or at least wouldn't put it past him to do so. Buck, your siren song of liberty really scratches where I itch. Shields high, buddy. Well, Tim, I'm happy to scratch where you itch, my man. With with the Freedom Hut. Uh, As for Northam, no, Northam is a Democrat. It's going to be fine. You know, Jimmy Kimmel just released today a somewhat here. I might even I might even be able to pull it up. He, He released something that was meant to make the problems of his past go away. And uh, here, here's what it is. It's a statement about how Jimmy Kimmel did used to appear 
uh, in a sketch in blackface. And here's what he wrote. I've long been remember Jimmy Kimmel's a not funny, but very highly paid late night comedian. Really, a, he's really just a political commentator who doesn't read books, but there's a lot of those with jokes written for him. Ha ha ha. Anyway, I've been reluctant to address this as I knew doing so would be celebrated as a victory by those who equate apologies with weakness. I apologize to there's nothing more important to me than your respect. And I apologize to those who are, those who are generally hurt on KROQ radio in the mid 90s. I did a recurring impression of the NBA player Carl Malone. I continued impersonating Carl Malone on TV. We hired makeup artists, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I've also done impressions of famous people, including Snoop Dogg, Oprah, Eminem, Rosie and many others. In each case, I thought of them as as impersonations and nothing more. Looking back, many of these sketches are embarrassing. I believe have I have involved. I have evolved uh, and matured over the last 20 plus years. I hope that's evident to anyone who watches my show. I know that this will not be the last I hear of this and it will be used against again to try to quiet me. I love this country too much to allow that. Oh, thank you, Jimmy. So you get to continue to have a platform and be a millionaire because you love this country too much to be silenced. And you're a leftist anyway. You're a lib, part of the lib mob. So it's not like, oh, what, what bravery are you speaking out on? Uh, but yeah, my summer vacation is planned for more than a year and includes the next two summers off as well. I'll be back to work in September. Jimmy Kimmel. Yep, he's, he's fine, folks. Jimmy Kimmel is fine for his blackface sketches back in the day and his impersonation of a black man. I can assure you a conservative who did either of those things would be canceled. And I mean, actually officially canceled from their platform, like fired, as well as uh, get in all kinds of trouble in the public's uh, public square and kicked out of the public square. That, that's what would happen. Double standards. The only standards libs have. I don't know who said that first, but. It's a phrase that stuck with me. It's true. Uh, Kevin Buck, I'm encouraging all my neighbors in Colorado to fly the American flag every day until the leftists are subdued. Be the not so silent majority and begin pushing back by demonstrating respect, appreciation and admiration for the flag. We have to start somewhere. We have to push back until they break. Also, we need more Governor Cuomo from you. Hilarious shields higher than ever. Kevin, what do you mean you want to put a flag up? If you're going to put a flag on your house, you got to have a lot of questions. How big does the flag have to be? And why are you going to just limit it to one flag? Why not do several flags? And when you have all the flags uh, together, it's like you're having a, a party of flags. And, and you know, some, one, one flag can say, bring the potato chips. Another flag could show up and bring the beer. And, and then when you add all of this together, uh, uh, that's, yeah, you, you get it. That's Governor Cuomo being Governor Cuomo, doing his thing. I forget what we, oh, yes, flags. That's right. Push back against this. Put American flags out there. Yeah, look, I agree. Uh, I was looking at, you know, I'm very interested in real estate and uh, think that that's going to be, that's a place where people can, build you know build some security for themselves over time that for your home is a very important investment and and i and i it's funny because every time i can tell you it's every time i see a house on the market that has an american flag and the initial photos of it i'm like huh i kind of like this place <laughs> it's a, automatically 
I have a more positive view of the home, I think, than I would otherwise. It's not, I'm not saying it has to be like a huge, you know, 20 by 20 flag from a giant pole out front, but just you know, a little American flag on the porch or something. I'm like, oh, I think I could live in this house. Yeah, I like it. So I'm, I'm all about I'm all about the flag. I've got a flag right here. I mean, you've, you've we've changed the set for uh, for the first, but uh, I've got an American flag that I have in my home and I actually want to get a, a bigger one. The thing is, I, I want to fl- I already have one flag that's displayed in my home, but I want to have a bigger I, I, I want to have one that has some uh, history to it. You know, I, I want a flag that has some story behind it. I don't know, just I think it'd be a cool conversation piece anyway. Uh, let's go to Eliza. Hello, Buck. I've been listening to you for a few years, and after a friend introduced me to your podcast, your show... They see, wait, Eliza, can you please thank your friend for passing the buck? I know I say this so often on the show, but this is how the show keeps getting bigger every month. And it's important because there are more podcasts. Everybody in there, great Uncle Phil has a podcast these days. I mean, everybody's coming out with podcasts. And it puts pressure on the business because this is a business and I am a capitalist. It puts business uh, pressure on the business of podcasts because, you know, with more and more, the advertisers expect more and more people to be downloading or else they're, you know, they're going to be looking elsewhere, right? So whatever the, whatever the floor is for a certain advertising campaign goes up with more and more podcasts. Now they've got all these shows that are big news brands. They put out a podcast or whatever. So it's getting to be a very crowded space. I do think Trump should do a podcast. I don't know why he hasn't yet. I mean, all these other congressmen are doing podcasts. I feel like Trump should do one. Kind of wish the members of Congress would focus more on legislating. But, you know, to each his own. But I think Trump should have a podcast. Uh, but, Eliza, I'm sorry. Obviously, this is... Uh, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Uh, this this really strikes a chord for me because I, I really people always ask, you know, how can I help? Whatever. I'm like, Look, if you believe in this show, if you believe in what we're doing here, single most important thing, single most important. Well, the two most important things you can do are check out and support our sponsors because they track every single one of you who buys anything or signs up for anything that we're promoting on this show. It's like a vote. It's like you're voting for the show to stay on the air. Uh, and I only have great products and, and companies that share our values and are great people on the show. And then uh, passing the podcast to one person. That's I, I, I'm sorry to take up your time sort of doing a, a commercial for the show within the show. But yeah, like I said, if everybody if everyone just got one person, if every podcast listener got one person in their life to also download and listen to this show, we would be we would be absolutely crushing it within a within a month. I mean, we're already doing really well. A lot of people listen to the show, but I mean, it would be it'd be one of the biggest podcasts out there. Uh Oh, Eliza said it's a spot for the mind. Thank you. My intellectual retreat from a crazy illogical world, especially these last few, a few months. I work in emergency services. You and Tucker Carlson are national treasures. Yours and Tucker's show keeps me warm and fuzzy at night, and I pray for your safety and health every day. Shields High from West Palm Beach. Well, Eliza, thank you so much. You know, West Palm. Producer Mark and I talk. West Palm may be where the Freedom Hut relocates. So, you know, you never know. West Palm, I hear great things. I hear great things. A little bit, little bit of great things. A little bit. So uh, thank you for listening down there, and please spread the word. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And the roll call continues, my friends. So uh, let's get back in. Remember, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. And with that, we go to Kyle. 
And he says the following. Buck, I read the court's opinion for Bostock v. Clayton County because I think it's important to read such things for oneself and not rely on the opinion of radio hosts or TV pundits for piecemeal regurgitations. No offense intended to you. I've even read Scalia's book on textualism, so I understand what he meant by it. That being said, when I read Gorsuch's opinion, I found myself saying, okay, this makes sense. Maybe he got this one right. But then I read Alito's dissent and thought, never mind, Gorsuch's opinion is trash. This is real textualism. It's like watching a pretty good high school player practice and then seeing him get demolished when Michael Jordan steps in the court for some one-on-one. Alito is the heir of Scalia. Gorsuch risks becoming another busted draft pick like Roberts. Libs always fall in line. Conservatives sadly fall apart. Sadly, Kyle, I think you're correct. And I'm glad that you go to the source yourself. And certainly that's, uh, for one who has the time and inclination, that's certainly the best thing to do on these Supreme Court cases. Travis, I fear you are right. We can no longer hunker down and hope the leftist firestorm will burn itself out. Uh, They will tear down the hard-fought freedoms that we take for granted if we do not come out of hiding and act. What What do you propose a lowly citizen do? I will fight in a righteous war if it comes down to that, but we are not like our opponents. They are not constrained by a sense of decency and fairness. What do decent people do other than vote and give moral and financial support to conservative voices? Um, well, hmm. you, your diagnosis of the problem of tearing down hard-fought freedoms is correct, and that we, we can't all hide, that's also correct. Um, I, I mean, I think we're in a, we're, we are in an ideological war, and I think we should do everything we can can and everything we should to make sure that that's all that it is. You know, we don't want this to become an actual contest of violence in any way. That would be terrible for the country, terrible for all of us. This is the most beautiful, freest, wealthiest country in the history of the world. Let's let's just keep what we've got, you know. But I understand that there's also a real fear, real concern that the left is willing to go to any lengths, any extremes right now to get its way. And, you know, I, I will say this. I, I do have real fear that um, they may, I mean, if you have a Biden administration and unified Democrat control of the executive branch and the legislature, you may have a situation where they start coming for people's guns. And that's when, that, that I think is the red line that the federal government needs not cross. I do have concerns about that. That would get very ugly very quickly. Um, but we'll see. And, and in terms of what every person can do, uh, what do decent people do other than mode and give moral and financial support to conservative voices? Well, if you do that, you're doing a lot, Travis. So, and that's more than plenty of people are doing. So don't just discount supporting voices that are out there, supporting causes that matter to you, putting your money where your heart is, and, and voting, and just being, just be a force for good. If you're a force for good in society right now, your politics are inherently conservative, even if you don't care about politics. If you pay your bills, treat people with respect, treat them with kindness, let people have their say, act like a mature adult, you are contributing to the vision of the conservative America that I try to promote, for example, on this show every day. So we all make choices that affect this. And so we're all, in a sense, combatants in this great battle for the soul of America. 
but you are you are making uh, you are fighting for our side by being an honest, decent, kind, thoughtful, courageous, virtuous, dependable human being, American every day. You you are contributing to our cause by doing those things. You know, you're not out there, oh, I hate everybody and tear everything down and everything's terrible and everybody's racist and everything's horrible. No. And uh, that's that's important. It really is. Um, Tina, hey, Buck, I've been five years since, oh, sorry, it has been five years since Governor Haley removed that flag. Now look, our history is being wiped clean from George Washington to Francis Scott Key. Republicans are cowards. I fear no one in Congress discussing a federal bill to stop this madness except our president. Instead, they agree we should change the names of our bases, not knowing the North extended a reconciliatory hand to the South and allowed us to name them. Watch and see. West Point will be next. This solves absolutely nothing since this is clearly a communist movement. Tina, you are correct that this is a Marxist revolutionary uh, Marxist revolutionary moment in American politics. That's what they're pushing. That's and that's what the Democratic Party ultimately wants. So you are correct in that diagnosis. And this will only get worse unless we fight back, unless we push back. And I think that's why so many of you are listening to this show because you know that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, Robert Buck, I've been with you since Real News days. Yeah, Robert. Woo. Original Real News Squad. Make up a new a new term for that. Do you think the president will drop the ridiculous one China policy and officially recognize Taiwan as an independent nation? Robert, the answer is no. I don't think he will do that. Um, that would be the Chinese. That uh, I don't want to even know what they would do in response to that, because it would be very. That's a big, big red line for the Chinese Communist Party. And now I'm not saying that Trump shouldn't do it because, you know. It would send quite a message, uh, but I don't think Trump's going to do it. I don't think Trump's going to do it. Too risky, too high stakes, especially given all the other things going on right now. Terry, hey, Buck, if the government eventually moves into Seattle to clear out the chop, why wouldn't they have already moved into Chicago with the astronomical number of ongoing weekly fatalities? I just don't understand at all. Well, Terry, Chicago doesn't have an autonomous zone that says no police can go in. Uh, so that's why it wouldn't be a case of federal action, perhaps even under the Insurrection Act. But yes, the violence in Chicago is terrible. David, I find it very unsettling that someone like Bolton had influence in the Trump administration. It seemed that he had an unbalanced power mad Dr. Strangeglove scenario, and the book doesn't help. Only the ravings of a self-appointed gilded, tro- gilded Trojan horse with a mustache. David, indeed. Oh, that's so cute. Tallulah just snoozed at the, uh, sneezed rather at the end of the show. You might have heard that. Hi, Tallulah. David, you're correct about Bolton. Captain Mustache, not a good dude. That's the show for today, team. Please pass the buck until tomorrow. Shields high.